listening to 2XX 98.3 FM, Canberra's independent and alternative community radio station, celebrating its 40th year. For the next 30 minutes, Subject ACT will explore local current affairs from an informed and curious perspective. It's Monday the 18th of April. I'm Becca Posterino. Today we continued the discussion on homelessness in the ACT. Firstly, I met with Senior Manager, Services and Community Development for the ACT South East and New South Wales region at the Australian Red Cross and Joint Pathways Chairperson Janelle Irwin. Joint Pathways is a collaboration of funded organisations in response to the homelessness service system experience in the ACT. I also met with social advocate Penny Lemus, inspired beyond her experience of disability and homelessness, to become a significant social advocate for older women experiencing homelessness in the ACT and nationally. She says decision makers need to take action in response to various ACT and national reports on homelessness. Finally, Rebecca Cazillo, Policy and Development Director of Youth Coalition of the ACT, and Travis Gilbert, the Executive Officer of ACT Shelter, unpack some of the issues influencing youth homelessness in the ACT. Coming up next, Joint Pathways Chairperson Janelle Irwin on the collaboration of funded homelessness organisations in the ACT. You're listening to 2XXFM 98.3, Subject ACT, or join us on Twitter, Facebook or stream us live on www.2xfm.org.au backslash listen. Lovely to have your company today. I'm Becca Posterino. Today we're talking to Janelle Irwin. She is the Joint Pathways Chairperson. She's also Senior Manager, Services and Community Development of ACT in South East New South Wales of the Australian Red Cross. Welcome to the program, Janelle. Thanks, Becca. It's good to be here. Yeah. What have been some of the key issues raised from these collaborations in regards to homelessness and housing affordability? Joint Pathways is, as you said, is a collaboration of organisations funded in the specialist homelessness sector and as such brings a really unique perspective around people's experiences of homelessness. And what we're able to bring to those consultations with government and other stakeholders is a direct voice for those experiences and not only what's, what brings people into homelessness but also the experiences they have within the service system and coming out the other end. What are some of the other organisations that are involved in Joint Pathways? What expertise and insight do they bring? Joint Pathways is a very diverse group. Services range from, I guess, uh, traditional bricks and mortar crisis accommodation services uh, across a range of, uh, I guess, what might be called different subsectors women, women and children escaping domestic violence, men, young people, covering, I guess, the diversity of our population. In addition to, I guess, those traditional crisis accommodation supports, there's a range of outreach service providers who, you know, provide that ongoing support to people to help them maintain the tenancy that they currently have to prevent them from becoming homeless or supporting them in transition from a, a crisis homelessness experience to you know, sustainable ongoing accommodation or housing. And then there are, I guess, services like the One Red Cross has, which is a free food service and an engagement service for people who are experiencing homelessness as a kind of gateway into other supports that might be available. I understand that the focus of Joint Pathways is on the specialist homelessness sector and how the sector best serves 
homelessness as an overarching issue. Is is that a, a good synopsis or summation of what Joint Pathways is trying to achieve? Yes, I think so, in that our focus as, as a group is around people's experiences of the sector, what they get out of it, and and how we get long-term sustainable outcomes for people that, you know, hopefully interrupt that cycle of homelessness that many people experience. And they're the that's the common thing that brings us together. You have different insights and perspectives. Because of the client group that we work with. Yes. Um, but there's a shared, that overall shared goal of trying to change the experience of homelessness sure. for people. What is at the heart of homelessness and housing affordability in the ACT, in your view, as a chairperson of Joint Pathways? What do you believe to be the key issues? I think homelessness is an outcome. It it tends not to be an issue in and of itself. People don't become homeless for no reason. To talk about sort of the causes of homelessness or how we might respond to homelessness is so much broader than just talking about how people end up without a roof over their heads. I think that's far more complex. In terms of housing affordability, I guess Canberra is an expensive place to live in terms of the rental market and certainly purchasing and it doesn't take much to to tip someone over the edge you you just need a a small family crisis and suddenly rent becomes hard to pay and or mortgage payments become hard to pay and so becomes a a progressive cycle so some of those complex issues i've touched upon in other interviews with other people talking about things like a history of domestic violence mental health drug and alcohol abuse are they some of the complex issues that you believe are central to the pattern of homelessness or the cycle of homelessness Uh, I think all of those things can and do contribute to you know different circumstances for people and you know can be causal to creating homelessness Is it important for us as a community to understand those complex issues, even if each and every one of us can't go into the depth of it? But in order to address the issue, we need to have some sort of insight into the complex causations and origins of what triggers homelessness. Do you think it's important as a community that we are discussing this with an election year coming? Absolutely. I think it's important. I think there is a there can be a lot of judgment out there as to, you know, how people become homeless and and particularly judgment when you talk about things like mental health and alcohol and other drugs. There's a, a lot of unknown around you know, what creates the opportunity or the environment for those things to to happen, which then leads to homelessness. So for us to, as a community, to have an understanding that homelessness is not, it's not just about not having anywhere to live. Mm -hmm. It's it's about the complexity of life that has contributed to that mm. and being able to work with people and support people who have, you know, a raft of things, not just mental health, alcohol and other drugs. Mm. It can be medical. It, mm-hmm. it can be it can be financial that's been created, as I said mm. before, from a, a one-off crisis that just creates a landslide effect, if you mm. like. So it's about, you know, reserving that judgment and and getting to, to know what's what can be behind those things and being able to respond. I guess it's just the the stigma and de-stigmatisation, if you like, of homelessness is what I'm probably trying to raise or bring to the yeah. fore. There is a stigma. The stigma is that homelessness equates to some sort of dysfunction within an individual. But as you're saying, these complex range and raft of different experiences contribute to homelessness. There are 
any number and any mm. one of us is teetering on the edge of homelessness. It's interesting you say that. I read somewhere last week something along the lines of we're all two paychecks, potentially mm. two paychecks and a spot of luck away from yes. being homeless. And again, that's not to minimise the experience of, of anybody currently in that situation, but to, I guess, remind people that, you know, it is it is that real and for some people it has been that quick a slide and it doesn't take much to tip that over the edge. So coming into an election year, is this a political issue and why should this be the responsibility of the government if you perceive that to be the responsibility of the government? I think addressing homelessness is a shared responsibility for everyone. You know, we all have friends, family and neighbours who are potentially experiencing a rough time that with a bit of support early on might not fall into that cycle. In terms of broader government perspective, our experience in, you know, delivering services across the homelessness sector is that it needs to be a shared responsibility, that it's, it is about the circumstances that lead someone into homelessness and that's not just about the provision of specialist homeless support. It is about us working together with our mental health services, with our alcohol and other drug services, with our violence prevention services, really taking a whole of community approach to looking at looking at and responding to collaboratively those those causal issues. I met with Penny Lemus, the ACT social activist and creator of the website OWLS, Older Women Lost in Housing, uh, recently, and she referred to housing as a human right. In 2016, how can we justify anyone in the ACT being in a cycle of homelessness? Justifies an interesting word. As soon as I, I hear that word, <laughs> I really we we can't. We we <laughs> you know there is no justification for people experiencing homelessness, and that doesn't change the reality that mm. that people are, and that we do need to focus on those on those causal issues and work together to to change that experience for people. I'd really like to invite you in again as we follow the conversation, not just through the election year, but years to come. So thanks for your time. Uh, thanks, Becca. It's been a pleasure. This morning we're talking to Penny Lemus. She is the mother of two daughters and grandmother of three. She has endured obstacles that would leave many people defeated, but Penny's burning passion for social activism and determination to turn obstacle into opportunity is nothing short of inspiring. Today, we invite Penny into the discussion on housing affordability, particularly the impact this is having on older women in the ACT. Welcome to the program again, Penny. Thank you, Becca. Thank you for having me speak again about this critical crisis affecting old women in the ACT and nationally. Just to recap your experience briefly, in 1993, you had an accident on Mount Ainsley that left you mm -hmm. with chronic leg injuries. Mm -hmm. How did that experience spark your courage? Well, it was chronic leg and spinal injuries. I'm not so sure about the word courage. I can hear that and it doesn't really resonate with me. Quite often I sit there and think when I have to give a speech or do something, oh, come on, get some courage. Sometimes I feel like the lion out of Dorothy. <laughs> but I think what my experiences have done is made me recognise that the world really is much bigger than the individual and we're here for a very short time so what kind of mark did I really want to leave? While I wasn't able to be given a final conclusion on my condition until 1997, from 93 till 97, it was pretty much a case of basic survival. So some days I would lay on the bed barely able to move and I would think, today you can breathe, that's mm. all you can do, just be grateful, tomorrow will be a better day. 
So once I was actually classified in 97 as totally and permanently incapacitated, for me, my whole world shattered. It really fell apart in a lot of ways because being able to work and being a, a truly functioning part of my community was very important to me and I became very isolated and cut off from all those things that basically are a fabric of who I am. So that experience then taught me the value of it's it's not the falling down that matters, it's just about you get back up and you do it all over again. What gave you the strength to get back up? I think a lot of that is just my personality it's just well I also love the you can't I've been told that a lot and for me I don't know that it's a challenge that's just a bit of a I have a quiet bit of a giggle and go "Mm, really well we'll just see about that watch me now so yeah you can't and and sometimes I think people um in fact I'm sure some people say it deliberately just to wait and see what's going to happen (laughs) they know you they do yeah and if they don't they soon learn to know me (laughs) You have a remarkable resilience, in my view, from what I understand of you. Why is social activism important to you? Well, I think social activism, not that I I don't actually recognise myself as that. That's what I've been called by others because, for me, I have a very strong sense of fairness and justice and social inclusion. Um, And my experiences, as with all of us, shape who you become, but I'm a big believer in you have a choice about how that's going to shape you and what you're going to do with it. So I set up a program for disadvantaged, disengaged youth in 2005 in Victoria, and I learnt such a lot from that experience about what it really feels like to feel totally disengaged from your community, excluded and not accepted. And that's when I... And I learned so much from those boys in my program. So why was youth such a critical issue for you? Uh, Well, I had gone to the area that I set the program up in as as what's called a volunteer. And again, that's not something that resonates with me. I just live life. And I had given a speech and some of these young men who had dropped out of school at the ages of 13 and 14 heard my story and came to listen to me. And I trained just outside Ballarat on Mount Buninyong for Mount Kosciuszko and Mount Crackenback. And two of them approached me and said, can we come with you up Mount Buninyong? And I was a bit, oh, sure, why not? And from then it extended. So the next week when I went back into the area, they turned up with somebody else. And <laughs> and it just seemed to grow from there. And it wasn't a case of me saying, I see what you need, so I will provide it. Mm. It was a case of those young, young men on that mountain during those days, we walked that mountain together saying, this is what we want, this is what we need. And so from there, I identified that they wanted and they would have liked to have a health, fitness and wellbeing program that also included life skills. Mm. So it was like an exploration of each other, it, getting to the heart of was. their needs yeah. in, a, in a very natural And not telling setting. them what they wanted or what they need. That's not my right. That's not anybody's right to tell somebody else what they want or what they need. And I think my experiences from my acquisition of a disability where I had many professionals tell me what I did want and what I didn't want Mm. was a big learning curve in you don't tell people what they want or what they need unless it's directive and it's life-threatening. People are quite capable of making their own choices and when left to do that they are empowered and they will go on 
And more self-motivated. It's crippling to disempower people by saying, we know, we know better than you. Yes. Nobody knows better than the individual. So your experience as a single mother, financially challenged, and told you would live with a permanent disability. How has your experiences shaped you? I do love that old saying of a wise man plants an acorn knowing that he will never sit in the shade of that tree, that that tree will grow and there will be no shade there for him because we all are capable of leaving a mark. I don't ever think, oh, this is hard, this is a challenge, I'll just try and overcome it. I just do it. Yes. Mm. And so there's no question, there's no big debating, it's just right. We just get up and go and do something about it. Don't sit back and whinge. Your website, Owls, is significant for many reasons. Tell us a little bit about Owls and why it is such an important resource for women in the ACT. Mm. What made you take action? Okay, so Owls represents older women lost in housing. I set the website up uh, after finding myself having the experience of acquiring a disability. Therefore, I was not able to be employed having worked through my younger years with low wages and little or no superannuation and inequitable um, relationship breakdown settlement, which led me to then no access to um, secure, affordable, appropriate housing. I had not realised how big and extensive and the depth of this problem was until I filled out a survey that the ACT shelter um, did So they did a report on older women housing vulnerability in the ACT and from there I was asked to take part in some media and once I was made aware and informed of how big the problem was, that's when I thought, but where's the action? Mm. There's lots of research and older women who do not own a home will will not be able to afford rentals once they are fully reliant on the age pension. We have bodies such as OWN, Older Women's Network. They've warned decision makers of this problem that will be facing women aged 45 and older who are single. The data to date shows that there are 600,000 women aged 45 and over who are single who are or who are at risk of homelessness. Now, I don't believe those stats and that data to be correct. I think it's much bigger than that because the biggest barrier that these women face is fear of speaking out. So they remain hidden and they remain faceless. So I set up ours so that women would, in this situation would have someone to connect with in terms of a resource that could say, yes, we know there's a problem nationally and in the ACT. Yes, there are bodies doing research and reports are being presented to government about this issue so that they don't feel alone, so that the groundwork and the foundations are being set for action that can take place further down the line. Mm -hmm. And it's also for other organisations and agencies to go to so that they can get information about what reports being done because, as I said, a lot of reports are coming out, there's a lot of data, but there's no cohesion with it. I tried to put on there as much as I can that that is from a wide range of sources. Mm -hmm. So there's not-for-profit organisational information. There's information that's coming from stories that have been done by independent newspapers or, or magazines or online articles. So that the other, I think, really important aspect is that it raises awareness of the actual issue. While it may be specific to women in this cohort, 
what I think really is important is that the general public and in particular politicians are made aware that this is a crisis that is facing us nationally. Penny, in regards to the ACT Shelter 2014 report and its recommendations, Mm -hmm. can you speak a little of that? Sure. So there was four recommendations made in the report, which was quite extensive. Uh, The first recommendation was to fund a specialised service to provide gendered tenancy advice and support to these women in this cohort. There's recommendation two, put in place a range of measures that raise awareness amongst older women and stakeholders around preventative pathways. Recommendation three, develop a range of long-term affordable housing options. This is one of the really key recommendations for ACT government and those standing for candidacies to recognise. Recommendation four, implement a range of policy and other mechanisms that assist older women into greater security of tenure, therefore preventative measure. So these recommendations have been made? They have been made in 2014. From what I understand from any government party so far, there has been no action taken. So while the report sits there with all the recommendations, that's the evidence. What's the next step? It's here in the recommendation. When is that going to take place? And who would have the courage and the intelligence and the compassion to follow that through? What would you like to see done? I'd like to see the recommendations addressed as quickly as possible in line with what the report has presented to ensure that these older women in the ACT, as we're speaking about the ACT specifically right now, are not left burdened and hidden and ignored by society. Penny, thank you so much for joining us today. That was social advocate Penny Lemus discussing the need for an immediate response to the crisis of homelessness and housing affordability for older women in the ACT. Before that, we heard from Joint Pathways Chairperson Janelle Irwin on the collaborative response of funded homelessness organisations in the ACT. Coming up next, Policy and Development Director for Youth Coalition of the ACT, Rebecca Cazillo, and Executive Officer of ACT Shelter, Travis Gilbert, to further explore the issue of homelessness in the ACT. You're listening to Subject ACT on 2XXFM 98.3. I'm Becca Posterino. This morning we're talking on the issue of homelessness, in particular youth homelessness, and I'm speaking with Rebecca Cazillo, Policy Director of Youth Coalition of the ACT, and Travis Gilbert, the Executive Officer of ACT Shelter. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having us. Good morning. I'll direct this to both of you. Do we have a homelessness crisis in the ACT? I think that's a fair word for it. At the time of the last census, we did see a significant increase between 2006 and 2011. That data's pretty outdated now, and we'll get new data at the August census later this year, but it did show an increase in the number of people counted as homeless in the ACT of about 73% in the five years to 2011. Some of that is explained by extra funding that came about in between that time period that actually provided more beds. So more people were in a location where they could be counted in a homelessness service, but I think some of that reflected record high prices in the private rental market around Mm. that time, which probably pushed people out of housing. Why did the rents increase so dramatically, according to the data? I think there had been an increase in employment within the Commonwealth Public Service, 
and my understanding is that there had also been an increase in the number of placements that each of the tertiary institutions offered, so they could have been two of the reasons, but also the ACT's population growth at the time was outstripping the construction of new housing and therefore the demand outstrips supply. What about you, Rebecca? What's your insight, particularly for the youth sector in terms of homelessness? Do, do we have a crisis? I think it's a particularly pressing issue and one that should concern the entire community. And also picking up on what Travis was saying, the census is really interesting because we it's an underestimation. Okay. We don't get a good picture of homelessness because um, people can't be counted in some instances. And being an election year and another census year this year, it's one of the things that we really want to raise awareness about mm. because people have to be prepared to be counted because then if we don't have good data around this stuff, we, we can't advocate in this mm. space appropriately. You can't track it either. Yeah. It's sort of recording it accurately so that you can service it by policy. and Exactly. Can you explain living rough? I've heard this term sort of bandied around in the discussion of homelessness with various guests that I've had on the program. I know you speak to the policy, but you, you, this term living rough, how does it differentiate between homelessness or is it just another aspect of homelessness that people may not be aware of? I guess people living rough for the purposes of the census on that particular night are counted as a separate category of people sleeping rough or in improvised dwellings but the reality is that many people cycle between different elements if you like of homelessness so they might go into a boarding house for a few weeks at a time they might stay in some crisis accommodation then that might end or the support period might end or they may no longer be able to stay there and so they'll end up in a park or on the street but then a mate might have a couch they can stay in for a few weeks at a time then mm. that leads to I guess what would be categorized as living rough but living rough can also include many women and children who have escaped domestic and family violence and might be bunkering down tonight in a car sort of hidden from mm. the main view deliberately hidden in many cases mm. for reasons of personal safety. In terms of young people we're looking at couch surfing as the predominant way they experience homelessness, particularly in that first instance. One of the things that can be difficult around supporting young people who are experiencing homelessness is they will, couch surfing will probably be their first port of call and they might go through and exhaust their resources, their family and their friends that they can stay with mm. and they might not show up in the service system Sure. for a few years which then makes you know family reunification more difficult and by that stage you know people might have disengaged from education and all of the issues that come along with that uh, can be much more exacerbated by the fact that they haven't shown up and may not identify as homeless yet I've spoken to some young people who have experienced couch surfing and you know they will say oh but I was lucky because I had friends who were willing to let me stay it's really an interesting dynamic because if you're not willing to, you know, identify as homeless, then you're not going to go and seek the support that you might really sure. be needing. Yeah, it's very hard to track without having that knowledge. How can you provide the support? My next question relates to domestic and family violence and the question of whether it is at the heart of the homelessness issue or is it more multifaceted than that? What do we need to know about what causes homelessness? I think our family and domestic violence is a really big part of 
a particular group of people who experience homelessness, especially so children are overrepresented as a cohort. And then when you add in youth homelessness, you're looking at people under the age of 25 that make up a huge number of mm. people who are experiencing homelessness. Some of them are unaccompanied, some of them are with their parents. It's difficult because we want people to just have the service that they need and to, you know, be addressing, you know, the issues that might be in their lives. But if that ends in homelessness, then there's a really big balance that we have to have to make there. I think it's fair to say that domestic and family violence is a leading cause of homelessness. It's certainly the main reason that about half of all women with children who seek assistance from specialist homelessness services provide as as their main reason for seeking help from that service at that time. Partly that reflects the funding model, so a significant proportion of specialist homelessness services funding is allocated to services specifically for people experiencing domestic and family violence. But the other side of the coin is those refuges and those accommodation services are generally full. They're at capacity and that means there's unmet demand which is probably hidden, like a lot of homelessness, where people might have escaped a perpetrator and they might be couch surfing or staying with a relative in a spare room. So we don't know where that group are a lot of Mm -hmm. the time. But I would say that, yes, it is a significant cause of homelessness, but Mm -hmm. certainly not the only cause. And domestic and family violence might be occurring in conjunction with a range of other factors that have placed housing at risk as well. That was Policy and Development Director of Youth Coalition of the ACT, Rebecca Cazillo, and Executive Officer for ACT Shelter, Travis Gilbert, on homelessness in the ACT. Tomorrow on Tuesday's edition of Subject ACT, Doug Dobing talks with CPSU Deputy Secretary Beth Vincent-Pieced about Canberra cultural institutions facing over $20 million cuts to funding. Beth also talks about workers at Aboriginal Hostels Limited staff offered half the pay rise of others. Coming up next, Community Broadcast Network's All the Best. Thanks for your company today on Subject Day CT, 2XXFM 98.3. Join us every weekday at 8.30 to 9am. I'm Becca Posterino. Enjoy your day.